Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of The Front Porch. How are you doing today, Dennis? I'm doing pretty good, Mike. And yourself? Oh, I'm doing all right. Not as good as you, I guess. How's uh, the nice train ride trip all the way out west? Um, not too bad. A, a Definitely a unique experience. Um, still not quite jet lagged. We don't we didn't move quite fast enough for <laughs> right. that, but I am now three hours off my normal time zone, including a night and a half of trying to sleep on a coach seat in a train while <laughs> much, much larger and uh, and more um, configurable and spacious than a plane coach is seat. It? Okay, I is, was wondering about that. It's still a chair that doesn't recline to a flat surface it's, you it's know. got cushions at least right it's not like this the old flat wooden ones right no yeah i mean it's it's padded it's it's like a it's like a bigger um plane seat that's uh that reclines further and has some kind of footrest mechanics but also the train stops you know like a plane doesn't stop you might hit turbulence but anytime right. there are bumps in the track or you sway to one side there's an amount of motion that you don't normally get on a plane are you allowed to get off unlike a plane? Um, those stops? Yeah. In the so the trip left Tuesday, Tuesday, two o'clock on Saturday, and that's uh, from Chicago Central Time, and arrived in Spokane, Washington, Pacific Time at uh, a little after one a.m. Um, we arrived about a half hour early, despite the fact that. We had two separate hour-long delays, which, I don't know, some kind of mechanical problems. But they must, I figured that they must build a certain amount of flexibility into the schedule to allow them to sort of make up that time and get to the bigger destinations. Oh, it's because somebody blocked the route up ahead is what happened. They had to go around a different way to get the longest route. Right. Yeah. You got to, you were saving all these yellow cars, but now you got to get blues. Right. And that's what you two hour delays that happens. Blocked off Dallas. That's what happened. Dallas route. Damn it. Um, Hey, uh, so yeah, well, well, uh, I'm glad you had a safe trip. That's definitely something that I want to do. Did you happen to see any, uh, uh, fellow geeks out there gaming on the train trip while you were out there? Um, not, not as such though. The um, there's a there's a car sort of in the middle. I don't know if this is true on all Amtrak's, but this one goes out west through um, some of the mountains. Though most of our time in the mountains was dark, but um, there's a oh, yes. there's a car in, this, in the center of the train that is um, the observation car. So the okay. the cars are all two levels, and most everybody sits uh, double deckers. Yeah, double deckers. Most of the seats are in the upper level, and then the the lower levels have the bathrooms and things. All right. Um, this is the top level. But the, yeah, right. The, um, the observation car has the cafe in the bottom, which is really just a concession stand that has a few beers and tiny alcohol bottles <laughs> and, right. uh, and microwave meals. If you don't want to pay for the dining car, <laughs> right. um, but a, popcorn, popcorn, right? Y- yeah. Well, frozen hamburgers and, <laughs> sausage sausage egg sandwiches and stuff um but they have they have a lot of on the upper level they have a lot of individual seats that face outward so that you can see the scenery rushing by oh nice oh and yeah then, oh, nice. and then they also have booths like you would see 
in a diner or a fast food restaurant. And I don't think there was ever a time that I went on that observation car. So, you know, probably not in the middle of the night because I was trying to sleep as previously mentioned. Um, but there was never a time I went on that car that there wasn't a set, a group of, I think four every time older people playing cards. Oh, see the, the old school gamer geeks. Exactly. Um, I don't know if this is, if this is true of you, but my grandparents were always like, every time they got together, we're playing cards. Oh yeah. Um, you know, uh... I, I grew up playing cards. Um, our, our group of friends doesn't do it so much because we've always got some new quote unquote real game to play, but <laughs> real uh, games, right, right. Um, but I mean, I don't know. Rummy, those games were pretty good. Euchre is definitely high caliber, right? But you know, you do what you got back then. Hey, yeah. so let's not, let's, yeah. let's not dwell too long on the, uh, the old folks games, although <laughs> proper respect to them passing that down. Uh, so this week, we're going to carry some stuff over from last week, what we had talked about. Let's talk about arcade games and some legacy games, namely like Risk Legacy, Pandemic, a lot of these games that are transformative as you play them. Um, legacy or campaign is a word I like to yeah, use. Campaign, that's right. That's right. That's a good good word. Um, well, actually, that has something to do, we'll discuss there, too, with, like, uh, some campaign games, maybe different than legacy games, meaning, like, Pathfinder, I would call Pathfinder the card game, adventure game, is a campaign game, Is so is uh, Star Wars Imperial Assault. That's a campaign, but yet they might not be legacy. So we'll talk about that. Um, okay. Another one is, uh, so, bringing in a little bit TV and, and movies, which I it's hard for me to get away from sometimes. Uh, the X-Files is something that came out oh, about another, maybe last year, they came out with another uh, X-Files, it was, it was two years ago, um, a revival of it. And I've not been a huge X-Files person, but um, it's always interest, interested me, the craze around it. So if we can speak about that time a little bit later. And wrapping it up, uh, they're recently talking about a new Terminator uh, movie going to be created and made. So that franchise is a venerable franchise, uh, and we can speak about that a little bit. So let's start off with arcades. So I'm a big, I've always been a big arcade person. So when I was younger, to, to show date my age, they didn't have a whole lot of really high-quality console games. I was still around when, uh, with the uh, Atari 2600 was where it really started going in the Nintendo. And even games with the Nintendo, you didn't have arcade quality games. You go to the arcade and they were amazing. And that is the, the you know, the cream of the crop, the best thing to do there. Um, and so any day you want to play Nintendo or do you want to go to the arcade? Yeah, arcade is the best to go. Um, loved it. Most of my childhood was there. Childhood was there. Um, and a fun fact, I guess, or a little thing about my past is um, one of my favorite times when I came right out of high school that summer, I applied for what I considered at the time two of my dream jobs, and that was to work at the movie theater, or and then another one to work at the our local arcade. And I got offered both of them. That was a huge moral dilemma. <laughs> it, it really was. And I was I had a buddy whose girlfriend at the time worked 
at the uh, the movie theater, and it was oh yeah, you get to see all the movies the day before. They have employee parties beforehand, and oh my god, that sounded amazing. I could watch every movie just oh, again and again and again. Right, right. Oh, that's just all me. And then arcades. I mean, oh my god, arcades. And I did choose the arcade. I worked at a place called Time Out. It was run by Namco eventually um, in the mall. And it was, it wasn't the best arcade in town. We had, th- we were fortunate it had three or four and, uh, the best arcade was the one that was dark and, and had, believe it or one point, mm-hmm. it was a little smoky. Uh, they had all the, the, you go in there and the older kids, I guess, were, were in there playing and they're playing Mortal Kombat and some of the, you know, harder edged games. All right. Um, but the one I worked at was, well, I guess you call the, the more what nowadays ended up winning, I guess, in the arcades is the uh, ski ball. You get the tickets and there's kids in there mm-hmm. playing whack-a-mole. It has like arcade a, games too. Like a Dave and Buster's. Yeah, yeah. That's why when people say, oh, there's a Dave and Buster's still, I really just have the biggest groan ever because to me, <laughs> that's just not an arcade. Um, it's ar- arcade for casuals. Yeah, arcade for casuals. Right. right. Oh, yeah, but unfortunately, it's not like a gateway, like we mentioned. It's not a gateway thing. It doesn't get people like, oh, I want to play Street Fighter now. Or, yeah, the best they ever got to that was the like Dance Dance Revolutions, I guess. But but anyway, mm-hmm. I did take I did take a, a job there. I really enjoyed it. I worked um, uh, with a friend of mine. We worked, got him a job there. Uh, I eventually moved over to a, a go kart track, which is a step up to that. Some some friends owned that one, their family, and I worked there and repaired arcade machines. I really loved it. It was another great time in my life. Where. Um, 18, 19 years old, and you're allowed to close the door and to the go-kart track and ride go-karts all night long, play video games unlimited, and then fall asleep on the pool table. That's the dream. <laughs> That's the dream right there. And I was living, living the dream. It. Yeah, I was living the dream. Um, so, so did you ever uh, did you ever build a, a main box? I did not myself, but I knew hmm. someone who did. So in there, it seems like seems like it would have been right up your alley. Yeah, it is something that I just I just didn't. I was more I said I got into the basically repairing all the little bits and pieces in there. And they did send me to 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 like a a day class type thing about the ins ins and outsides of of uh, the video game cabinets. So it was really nice to do. But I never I never put it all together. Yeah, it was it was fun. It was great. I mean, I really loved it. Um, but anyway, so it's, it's always been a part of my DNA. Um, I'm a hardcore, uh, in my soul, Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat, um, lover. I would go back and forth, you know, it, was, it wasn't my turn and playing the other, go back the other. Uh, it, it, me and my friends were all about making the quarter last as best you can. Hey, there's only two of us. Okay. I'm playing the computer until I'm about ready to lose. And then right where I lose, I say go. And then they hit the start button so they can hop in and then we play each other and then let them play the computer. So it was always stretching the quarter, limited money, you know, sure, sure. Stretching it out. But, um, but anyway, it was, it's, it's a part of my DNA, something I've been. And uh, sadly it did go the way of a lot of things do in this world. And you know, the home consoles caught up thankfully. And it was amazing to be able to play some of these games at home. The super Nintendo, I think is really where it started to catch up. Um, arcades never, never did a, a Moore's law. They never got better. They just stopped and mm. everything else did. Um, the experience is more tailored to home and that's fine. But recently there's a place, um, up near Chicago and it's, it's shameless plug in here, a place called galloping ghost arcade. 
Um, okay. It's run by a man by the name of Doc Mack. And uh, I can't remember how long ago they've been open. At least four or five years, at least. Um, and they... You should Google it. You should Google that. I mean, just take a, a moment and, and just view the videos on Galloping Ghost Arcade. It just started as, hey, here's 100, here's 100, we're going to get 100 arcade games in this little place in, um, near Chicago. It's not like downtown Chicago. It's on the outskirts in a suburb. It's even like a little city outside of Chicago. And when you go there, it's it's literally like, oh, there's a old street with maybe some strip malls and a, you know, uh, KFC down the street, maybe. Uh, nothing important. A tanning slot and salon. And then right here with, uh, on the sidewalk is this unassuming building. And it says Galloping Ghost Arcade. And you walk in there and they have over 500 original arcade games. And wow. it, maybe 600 now. And they're just constantly buying more, constantly repairing them. And they've bought up the Chinese store next door and knocked holes in the walls and put more arcades in there. And here is the best part about it. It's 20 bucks. You play all day unlimited. Just wow. Yeah. It's, I mean, we would, we have taken trips there, spent 20 bucks at as soon as they open at 11 and then close the place down at one. They just give you, you show your receipt, you come back in, play every game on free play. It is amazing. Totally amazing. You should, uh, you should put a link to that in the show notes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, if anybody gets a ch- chance to take a trip up there, it's worth it. I mean, we stayed at a nice little hotel that was like 75 bucks a night right down the street. Worked totally fine. Uh, walked over there, walked home. Ain't got up the next day, went back again. They've got, they've got, here's the thing. It's not just like restored um, arcade machines. There are, they've got your Pac-Man, your Donkey Kongs, your Dig Dugs, Moon Patrols, all those games. They've got um, your favorites that you can think of from Dragon's Lair, Dragon's Lair 2, um, Star, all the Star Wars games that you could think of. And then there's just a billion that you never heard of either. Um, but for me, Putting, you know, sitting down and saying, I'm going to play the Avengers all the way through. I'm going to play Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and then out of time. And granted, when you're playing on free play, it changes the game a lot because you're, you know, you want your quarter to last. And now you're just like, oh, a million lives. So it's no big deal. Sure. Um, but I, we did. We sat down and played through, uh, like, there was the Dungeons and Dragons game and then there's a, a Dungeons and Dragons uh, Mistara game. And four of us sat down and huddled around this thing and played it. And, um, yeah, it's great. Uh, and also they have new games. They're also they're always actually building new, brand new games and having people build and make new games. Like every Monday they unveil a new game that wow. they're putting, putting in the thing. And they have, they have, you can always set world records. You can, people set world records there. The neatest thing about when you're playing a game is you'll look right above the top of the box and it says what the world record is and then it, what the Galloping Ghost record is, high score. And mm. it's neat when they're the same thing. So <laughs> sure. Yeah. Sure. It's really, we, we played a new game they had there called Turkey shoot. It wasn't a new game, but it was a new game to them to there. And, uh, my friend set the record on that one for like a week, but we were like, there's his name. He, he took it. He was right by the guy, the guy doc walked over, saw it, said, yep, that's it. And on, on the thing, it was official. And he write, wrote his name down and put it on there and we took pictures of it. And, and then a week later it was gone. But, <laughs> but anyway, that's pretty cool though. Still. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, parents, it's, it's not like necessarily full of kids, but it's not full of adults either. It's got both of the vibes going around that you can do. And it's, 
I don't know. Sure. It's super fun. So I guess I prattled on enough about that one. Uh, you ever do arcades <laughs> much as a kid? Um, not a whole lot. My my recent experience talking about Chicago. A couple years ago, I was in the city for um my buddy's bachelor party. Uh, not nothing too crazy because we're. I mean, he's younger than me, but I think <laughs> it doesn't sound like it was, goes together with arcades. <laughs> he was he was in his late twenties, but uh, no, I mean, so that was the like we went out a little bit he he had recently um been diagnosed with diabetes the Mm. not the not the sugar i mean it's all sugar but not the not the kind you get by poor diet but the kind you get genetically oh yeah right and so he couldn't he could drink but not much right he couldn't do excess yeah so it wasn't going to get crazy so we went to this place i believe it's called the emporium okay um, in Chicago and it, it's an arcade bar. So they had, you know, taps. I, as I, as I recall, their, uh, Pabst, their PBR tap was a, (laughs) was a, was a duck hunt gun. Oh, that's um, funny. (laughs) Instead of a normal. And we did, I recall doing a lot of pinball. Um, but they had the, uh, what's it called? Miller time or something. Yeah. The one you see in, um, in Wreck It Ralph, or the guys? Oh yeah, right, yeah. Oh, slide, sliding beers down the. Yeah, Tapper. That's definitely it. Down the thing, and um. My and best friend of, had that in his in his house. They played it in his. His dad had it. Nice, it awesome. nice. Yeah. Um. So I did that. Uh. When I was, so I guess my my response to this is going to go back backwards in time. But um, when I was, let's see. I don't think I was quite old enough to drive. So like 15, 16 went with yeah. some friends to uh, Cedar point for the weekend, which is a amusement park in Ohio. Up I've on, never um, been, but I hear it's, it's like one of the best roller coasters in the on, nation on Lake Erie. Yeah. At the time I, so I, I have, um, acrophobia. I'm afraid of heights and just a little bit of a roller coaster park. Right. Dude. Right. And, and so I was with a group, um, three three siblings, and they each brought one friend. So my sister and a oh great and a sixth and a sixth person plus um you know their the family's parents. It was like their family trip. They could bring friends. This is not and sounding good. No, no, it was rough because <laughs> I was the only person in the group who did not want to go on roller coasters. Of course, right? And you brought your family there to just prod you along, right? Your brothers. And, yeah, my my sister was along with with us, and but I was mostly fine just walking around maybe doing smaller rides while they you know you go to a big roller coaster park and every ride has a line that's at least an hour if not two. Oh yeah right sadly sadly and um at at some point because we were there for the weekend we were there for two days and at some point through a variety of social contract and 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 negotiation um the group agreed that if i would go on one roller coaster with them then they would do a thing i wanted to do <laughs> okay um and and i, I don't hear ro- both things are <laughs> yeah the, the the roller coaster thing is is okay like i enjoyed it it was one of those standing up ones oh they, um, they didn't pick an easy one did they no and i i tried to go on it again a few years later and like it didn't really hurt my back but it was very uncomfortable and i was like this is not like the thrill is not worth 
potentially the pain. being physically injured. <laughs> the, the ride is gone now, probably for some of those those same reasons. But right. the the thing that I wanted them to do was go in the arcade. Oh, okay. And and you because and did they? They did, and and most of them, the girls in particular, were very bored. Um, right. But you're like, hey, I want to play some games here. Come on. But what what was interesting to me about the arcade at Cedar Point is it was this sort of like almost a time capsule uh-huh. uh, at the at the front of the of the room. They had newer games, which I don't know if I don't think DDR was a thing yet. It might have been just starting. Yeah, but they have a lot of the, you know, cruising USA Various, that was the game back in the day. Various um, rail shooters, um, all of that stuff. But as you got further back, you'd find the old Pac-Mans and Asteroids, um, Missile Command. Oh, yeah. Um, they had them chrono- chronologically ordered. Huh? Right. Like reverse chronological. If you got all the way into the back, they had arcade machines that were machines. Like, <laughs> like. Like in the third Back to the Future, when he shoots the ducks and they're yeah like moving, it was it wasn't quite like that. There was nothing that ran on steam, but <laughs> that's right. But there was like I remember a game that had a helicopter on a pole, and then it, and then the <laughs> the pole would like it was on a little arm. The arm was connected to a rod in the middle, and the rod would spin. And so if you push the button. The prop on this propeller on this um, helicopter would spin and it would it would go up or down on, you know, it didn't fly, but the propeller would lift it up and then it would move in a circle on this tether. Yeah, a literal mechanical game, mechanical game or a submarine game where where physical boats would move down at the end of the machine on belts. And you look down a periscope, and when you pressed the the torpedo fire button, a series of lights would light up along the length of the machine to represent that torpedo moving forward and either hitting or missing the ships you were firing at. Nice. Similar to, like, the um, air-sea combat games for the 2600, if you played those. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh Like that, except, except a big physical machine. And so that was fascinating to me but well the, those old ones are very just like straightforward binary type games shoot hit shooter you know just i mean whatever they could make at all. yeah whatever they could make work with like um you know the electronics at the time yeah and so to complete the the story backwards when i was a kid and would have potentially been interested in arcades when there were still arcades you know in town Around. in the, in the travel plaza not travel plaza in the shopping plaza with uh the grocery store and the fabric store um i for whatever reason was very frugal as a as a kid almost really more cheap than frugal um i uh, spent a lot of time with my grandparents um as i said before playing playing card games and yeah. they were both just old enough to still have that depression era save everything m- mindset about money um right. and 
my my dad grew up very poor, so I picked up some of that from him. Like he worked and has has worked as really hard his whole life um, to provide, and so the idea of like spending a quarter to play for a few minutes, and if you die, you got. I mean, I mean, and I I know that's not a foreign concept because as you mentioned, you tried to keep the quarter going as as oh, long yeah, as you, you could. Like I was always more drawn, even though the economics of it don't make any sense. If you know anything about money or even basic math, kind of like yeah. the lottery, I was always drawn to the games that gave you tickets. Uh, Cause you get something back. Cause you get something back. And that's, that's really what it was. So the, the, the only real exposure I have to arcade games are the ones that made it onto consoles in some form. You know, we had a 2600 and so I played, um, air sea battle, uh, combat, the tank game, combat, um, yeah, yeah, a couple of those. I always liked miss Pac-Man more than regular Pac-Man. Cause it was easier. Everybody, everybody does. Yes, um, of course. Much better. When we got, so our, we had a 2600 first and then we got the original NES. And then our next system after that was the first PlayStation, which we got. Uh, second hand. Oh, that's right. You didn't get the Super Nintendo. Yeah, right? we, we had none of those. I bought a Game Gear and was so disappointed by it. I think it put me off of any kind of console <laughs> purchasing for right. for quite a while in between. But when we got the when we got the original PlayStation, we had um, I'm probably not going to pronounce this right, but the Battle Arena Toshinden. No, games. that's right. Yeah, we we had I one. Hated th- that game. W- one and three, which were possibly the first true fighting games that we had and they were also the first fighting games on the playstation okay um those also had racing games though we had racing games as far back as we had grand prix on the yeah on the 2600 or spy Um, hunter right i don't think we had that one but we had grand prix and maybe something called pole position oh yeah pole position yeah you're um, on it tonight. Right. Yeah. Those I, are good ones. Got some of the, some of the names. Um, <laughs> and then one of those, um, we always called it the Raiden project. I don't know if that's how you yeah, pronounce it. it. It's um, the, the plane. It's like a spaceship plane type game. It's a, right? it's a top down side, side, side scroller. scroller. The, the, one, the one on the PlayStation scrolled top to bottom instead of okay. sideways. Okay. Um, and I remember because they had a, they had a warning in one of the splash load screens not to turn your TV on its side. <laughs> That's funny. Pro- probably, you know, with the old tube TVs, you don't you don't really right. want to run it sitting on its side um, <laughs> just because you want the game to scroll the same way as the arcade version. That's um, funny. I think we played that for a long time before I realized that it started life as a as an arcade side scroller. Um, well, you know, that's the way they used to go. That way it was it was not developed for the game system. A lot of even the ones on the Atari were like, oh, how how can we convert Pac-Man? How can we port into it this? into, yeah, save it into a cart? And Yeah. I, I mean, and, space, arcades were still, even at that point, more advanced and specialized than what the home things could be. So the Atari still could not do what the arcade machines could do. That makes so, sense because it, it was always specialized hardware. Yes, um, Every one of them were right. Exactly. Yeah. The, um, the, the, the one thing with, go ahead. 
the 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 one genre or style of game that I never like I tried later with emulators and stuff, but I never really played like I, I watched people play or whatever is the what did it start with double dragon? I think the like oh, yeah. the the guy walking side scroller that had um, real time multiplayer because, you know, the original uh, NES Mario was a side scroller, but that like side scrolling punching the Simpsons game was that way. Most of the um, Teenage Mutant oh, Ninja Turtle mean, games like for the for the Nintendo the NES. I I think they there were more of them on the on the Super Nintendo, weren't there? No, no kind of probably because no, I think there was a lot of them on, on the on the um, the Nintendo. There was there there really was. I mean, um, I think even Bad Dudes was on on the. Uh, Nintendo and so so was Turtles, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That okay. fracking difficult hard game was right. Definitely. Or um, Blaster what's Master. The, what's the what's the frog one? Battletoads. Oh, Battletoads! Right, yeah, that was <laughs> the, Nintendo. The, I the, like I've heard about it. I never played it, but um, I've heard about it since then that it was notorious for having some level that you basically had to memorize. Oh man! So here's the here's the thing of me with that going away from arcades, going to the beginning of consoles here, but I, I did, I can't remember how, but I did get, my mom got us a Nintendo entertainment system. Right. It, it had to have been, it was out for a while, so we didn't buy anything new. Um, but I didn't have any games, so we just got that, and, and at the time it was Duck Hunt and Super Mario Brothers, which, of course, you play the living crap out of it over and over and over again. Yeah, of course. But I, I, didn't ever, I never got any games. I never owned any extra games. What I did, though, was I would go after school, kind of by my school, I would go to the, a small little local video rental store shop, mm-hmm. and I would look at the – they would rent games there. And yeah, I would look at the wall and I would just sit there and I, I man, I can't remember. I had to have been like eighth <laughs> grade, maybe, maybe seventh grade. And I would just look at the wall and I would read everything on the back of every one of those boxes. Mm. And I was there for literally hours just reading the things, kind of letting my imagination go. And I, the people who worked there, it was like a locally owned shop. They ended up knowing who I was. I was there all the time. I'd never get anything. <laughs> and, right. and then every once in a great while, I could somehow scrounge up a dollar fifty. Where if I didn't, together. You know, yeah. right? And they would, would now in hindsight, I think it's funny how they let just like a, a middle schooler just like rent a game for a dollar, and then because they knew I'd bring it back. But some kid come in like here, dollar fifty, just take our game, you know? But they did. They let me take it, and then they were nice. Mm. They'd have this like, hey, we've got like a you put your business card in the thing, and you can win a free ticket. They'd be like, hey, look, a free thing just fell on the floor. They were always. <laughs> took pity on me that way right but right. I, I believe it or not I, that's how what i did that's how a lot of my things you know evolved is that i i would get ninja gaiden or what made me think of it was battletoads i'd get battletoads and i would read it in the box art and the descriptions on the back and it was like this is amazing and i would take it home and it would be freaking difficult as sin but i only have it for two days 
And, you know, otherwise I'm going to be back to just reading the back of boxes. So I played it all night, all, uh, you know, as soon as I got home, I'd run home, played it as soon as I woke up in the morning. And like you were saying, doing the memorization, the muscle memory and and getting through it, then Ninja Gaiden was the same way. And it was, it it wasn't necessarily great. And I look back now and say, no, those, I wouldn't recommend people playing those games. And I'll go back for nostalgia reasons and try to play them and think this is horrible. Uh, is not fun. sure, sure. But because of the situation, I think that a lot of us were in back then, where parents were. I mean, now everybody knows what the word PlayStation is. They grew up with games, and they understand buying them for their kids and what that is. But they're, now they're right. like, "I'll buy you this forty dollar game." Or actually, back then there were eighty dollar games, um, <laughs> which is crazy for the, you know inflation wise. And yeah. I'm going to buy that for you. Yeah, I'll buy you one for your birthday or one for Christmas. So right. you, you get those rich kids that'll have like four or five and you're like, holy shit, you know, <laughs> but now, now you get Gamefly right, or right. whatever it is and you're downloading one a week and it's the way it is. Well, yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say. Um, later in my late twenties and a little bit in my early thirties, um, I had Gamefly because I do more PC gaming and most of from the time that I bought Starcraft, which I bought it used and that was probably like 98, 99. I don't remember. Well, they just did the anniversary, so it must have been released in 97. Yeah, original StarCraft. Right. Um, I mostly played games on the PC, and so when when I was out of playing WoW, um, I got on Gamefly, and I would get those um, single-player adventure games. That's how I had... We were talking about Final Fantasy last week. Um, that uh, 13 was one of those, but I got the Uncharted's and Assassin's Creed and um, what am I thinking of? Prince of Persia. All I started good games. Do- All good games. I started doing that when I knew people who had a lot of games, I would just borrow them. And then right. when, when I discovered Gamefly, I did that. But when we, when we were kids talking about um, the buying games in the old consoles. Um, some, some of my dads, uh, I heard them as I heard about them as ladies at his work, but female coworkers, um, ladies at his work, g- g- right. Got, got wind. I mean, this was mid late eighties, um, found out that we did not have a Nintendo. And so they bought the, like, the kit that came with the duck hunt gun and two controllers. Oh yeah. That's the deluxe version. And the, you know, it of course had Mario duck hunt with it, um, and bought it for him, for us for Christmas. Nice one. And, and so that's how we upgraded from the Atari. I don't know. I'm pretty sure the Atari was still around. It's now, been been lost to the to one of many garage sales oh, unfortunately right it's quite tragic i'm sure at the time yeah. i did whatever i could to keep that from happening but you know when you're when you're a parent selling off the old game console you 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 don't you don't pay too much heed to the opinion <laughs> of your eight-year-old son right don't do that uh right. i i consider still 
periodically looking for. It's one of those things that, that I don't I don't yard sale, but if I ever drive through the neighborhood and there's something, I always keep my eye out for something like that. Uh, I know you can eBay it and whatnot, but I kind of always want to. You, you see them at, um, sometimes at flea markets. There's like one booth where a guy just has boxes of old nes cartridges or something oh, right right yeah and and you can get them and i and i i considered i, I need to be, the reason i say that is because uh, downstairs i have my where i'm at recording here uh is that i have a television a, a decent size one and it's got all of my old system still i I've, I've been called a collector <laughs> uh, I keep my old games. There's things I keep, or, or I keep my board games. I keep my um, video games. I keep my movies, and I keep my comic books. Um, uh, everything else, I can just throw a pitch. I don't care. Um, but I have uh, Turbo. I'm looking at it right now. I've got my Turbo Graphics, my Genesis, my Nintendo, my Super Nintendo, uh, my PlayStation One, my PlayStation Two. Um, I said Turbo Graphics 16. Uh, all still mm-hmm. connected, where I can just walk up right now and bling and turn them on. Nice. Um, and then my little uh, collection to the right here has still got all of the my original games that I can play. And I, but I don't have a twenty six hundred, um, which is you know that is one. These are all the ones that I guess I owned. So when you were bringing up that it got sold off to the yard sale, I think I was really fortunate to to just grab onto. Them. I think I was obsessive that way that no way everybody knew. I'm the one that played the video games in the house. And so whenever I mm. left, I was the one, the one that, that took them. Yeah. Mm. I have, I have too many younger siblings. All of my personal game consoles, aside from the game gear, which is probably still lying in a box unwanted somewhere <laughs> right. um, because it was terrible. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. I've, I've personally owned um, original Xbox. I got, like I think the 360 was almost out already when I finally got an original Xbox, and like that's where we diverge, man. You put, and Microsoft, me, something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, at the at the time, uh, Xbox was the only way you could do XBMC and um, run emulators, right? Oh, like that was the true. simplest, was the quote unquote simplest way to get emulators on your TV. Um, and so that's I I modded it out to do. I mean, modded out is a really strong way to say that. Like, I maybe put a bigger hard drive in it, but it was mostly software getting that Linux thing on there and installing the emulators and then playing around with that for like a day and then getting bored with it. Aside from (laughs) my taking it to my friend's house and them all playing uh, Mario Kart with uh, the, the N64 version. With um with Xbox controllers, I get and it. then then later I got the Wii, and I got the um I got the 360 when they added the ability to um I don't know it was like DLNA or some kind of tech that would let me watch DivX or whatever file video files on the TV when that was still pretty difficult to do. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, but I also played games on it. That console, the 360 got stolen. Oh, my apartment suck. got broken into. That's when I switched to the PS three and that's the last console I bought. Uh, good choice. Good choice. The PS3 yeah, I, I switched. It's like I, I wasn't using live. And so to pay for Xbox live to get to use Netflix on my console was seemed dumb to me and so i took the opportunity to switch but all of those previous consoles which i guess would just be the xbox and the wii 
um, have gone back to my parents' house where they got continued use by younger siblings and nieces and have either been, you know, co-opted for some, you know, for, for that purpose and then worn out or something like that. It, I was old enough by that point that I had given up on most of my <laughs> the old ones. childhood, my, my childhood hoarder tendencies. Yeah, you, you'll, go collector, back, you'll go back as, one day as and you find say, them. Trying to find it. Like, yeah. what happened to my... I did buy a Nintendo DS, and that's floating around somewhere. I think one of my nieces has it. Oh, man. I, um, I, here, I will I will kind of wrap this topic up with one little thing that I remember. Um, I mentioned that I was... I, I had these games for a limited time, right? And then I played the crap out of them. Um, mm-hmm. I was... I, I, uh, the easier or normal type games, I would blow through those a lot pretty quickly because of my obsessive playing with them. Um, the ones you start to pick up patterns yeah, and trends, right? Yeah. Um, and even the games like Ninja Gaiden, okay, it's just muscle memory, whatever it is. Um, but then the games that really stuck my interest and still to this day do are the RPGs and uh, Final Fantasy being chief among them when it came out on Nintendo. It was like, this is the best thing ever. Um, but the the thing that uh, <laughs> happened was I would get stuck. A lot of those things that you have to do a certain way. Uh, for example, back in Zelda, the original Zelda, you have to go through the forest and it's like Northwest, Southwest. There's a way to go. And if you don't figure out the puzzle, there's nothing, there's no internet. There's no one I can call right. that has that game or does anything else. It's that's that. And like, Oh my God, I, I can't just not do this anymore. I, I want to continue playing and I'll hit a, uh, a, an impasse. And what am I supposed to do? Well, back then we had this thing called Nintendo power and it was a magazine and the, the magazine, yeah, right? The, the Nintendo would put out and they would have the cheats or the codes. And that was the coveted thing that you could get back then. If uh, it was expensive and you'd have to get the one you want. Uh, but they didn't always have what you wanted. They're like, I'm playing Zelda. Let's just say they surely had Zelda or Final Fantasy. And they didn't have, have a Final Fantasy issue or I didn't have it. But what they did have is that they had a Nintendo Power hotline. You could call them up in a, in a 800 number or whatever it was. Um, it wasn't an 800 number. But you can call them Probably up. Probably 900 number. Yeah, it was It was the equivalent of – it was long distance is what it was for sure and charging. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but I was a kid and I didn't think about that. So I remember calling <laughs> and they would put you on hold just flat out. Hey, put you on hold. And now I think about, oh, my God, they're charging. $2 a minute and they're going to, they have the audacity to say, put you on hold. Uh, but I was like, yeah, sure. Go ahead. And I know several nights I was on a pay per minute hotline <laughs> in the queue for two to three hours for oh, final no. fantasy. Oh God. And my mom, it's like, it's like the old psychic hotline. Oh God. It was, I, I, I can't, I would like, tear my kid apart right now if that uh, what is this $300 phone bill to one you know, call you know what that is you know what that is what? that's the that's the 80s early 90s equivalent of accidentally buying 500 gems <laughs> in whatever game right. they're playing on the iPad you just let it happen right <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, mom didn't know I had the phone on that long. That's her fault, right? <laughs> God, <laughs> right, uh, right. Poor lady. I, I think that we had to have the phone disconnected at that point, and then you know, mom had to make that up for that. But I, you know, I think what's worse is I probably did it twice, which was even worse. <laughs> oh uh, no. Well, moving out of the world of arcades and um, home console stuff, which I'm sure we'll come back at another day. But uh, for sure. 
So let's talk about like I guess what's current, not necessarily so current in the last five years, but I think it was is a trend going forward with board games, and that's legacy games. What I mean by legacy games uh, are a lot of games will come. Uh, Risk is one of the first ones. Pandemic's another one, and Mechs versus Minions is a legacy game. And for those who are unfamiliar, you get a box. It's typically a rather they've been a little expensive boxes, ranging from sixty to hundred dollars. And it's it'll have the game. In the case of Risk and Pandemic, you're playing Risk or you're playing Pandemic, just a normal game. And then after you win or lose this scenario, um, there is the instruction booklet says, okay, based on the outcome, there is a packet that is sealed in the box. Open it up and then follow the instructions on there based on how you did. And then it can drastically change the game. And then you play again next week or tomorrow or right away. And let's say there's you put a sticker on the board that changes in the case of risk. Um, not spoiling anything here, but like uh, half the continent is not there anymore. So the sticker goes over and replaces Europe or uh, name a city and every, every city that has your name on it, um, you get bonuses for the next time you play. Uh, your character sheet gets, you actually have a character sheet and instead of the normal gameplay and it gives you a plus one to whatever your role is for this. So that as you play the game, the board itself changes, the game itself changes, you unlock new things, new packets that are sealed, and you can only play these kind of games once. They usually have a long story that you play through and at the end you conquer or beat or whatever. And then you're finished with a new game that's not quite the same game that you played before. Um... Now, I know that you and I have had some experience with these. Um, I myself has, have played through all of Risk um, and all of Pandemic. And we're currently playing through Mechs versus Minions now. Uh, this is amazing. In my opinion, it's an amazing type of game. Uh, it's, it's something, sure, you can only play through it once before you have to buy another one. But if you're talking about time played versus the amount of money you spend to spend let's say i think pandemic is 13 games you're paying playing 13 games for 60 dollars. that's you can't go to the movies for that price and it's different and engaging and fun and amazing and if you play 13 games of monopoly you're never going to want to play monopoly again either so that thing goes in the shelf at least this one you have a huge kind of like experience that you're going to build on um I actually don't know why they're not doing more of these, why we don't see this, these huge rash of games coming out. Um, but they're not all good. Um, they're not all positive. Um, but I will say that, that Risk was an example for me that was a very poorly received game where our, our regular game group almost came to literal physical blows. Uh, well, this, I have thoughts on that, but go on. No, no, go ahead. Okay, so... Um, from the outset, I think you, you should probably clarify terminology. Okay. Um, because I've only played a couple games of mech, mechs, mechs versus minions, but I would call that one a campaign game. Okay. Let's do that. Not that, not that they're mutually exclusive. Um, many legacy games have campaigns. Okay. Um, so I guess in the, in the D and D parlance, the campaign is the long story spread out across multiple play sessions. So it's a little, it's a little confusing to me. Um, legacy means something about the game changes based on 
I mean, you could you could call that the legacy. Like That's in, right. in the case of Risk, we only played two games, but I imagine if sometime down in the future nobody can move troops through um, you know, whatever, Ukraine because three sessions ago somebody was playing and turned it into a nuclear wasteland. Well, now the current game is affected by your current play session is affected by your game's legacy. Hmm. That's a, it's a good thing here. here, Let let, let me see what I just came up with that. So I don't know. I don't know whether (laughs) that's, um, and then what I, what I would call a campaign is a game that has, um, that has a, a story or I guess scenario is a better word. Like a scenario is an episode in a campaign's season. And so you can, you can play like mechs vs. minions is an ongoing game, but I jumped into it and played two of the, of the scenarios right in the middle without knowing so I guess the question there is, does I haven't played enough to know, does mechs vs. minions change over time? Well, like, do the, do the characters get different abilities or yes. anything like that? Yes. Okay. I, and, and that's a good topic to understand it. I guess I should clarify what I mean. So maybe what I'm thinking of when I say legacy games it's it is games that do change but it's games that you you open up and you can't unopen things that there are sealed components there are parts that you can't unseal um and it just and part of the experience to a legacy game is that okay we accomplished x or didn't accomplish x and we had real consequences that you can't undo like you i just can't undo it so let's say um i play legendary and it's got a storyline to it and maybe that storyline that we play a scenario chains into the next one but you don't have to play the first one or the second one and you could um to understand it it doesn't change that neither changes the game drastically or has any effect that you can't do it again but if you play yeah it's it's different in the it's it's that sort of um replayability like Settlers of Catan, where the board is different every time. Yes. But it's chosen at random. It's not different based on decisions from the previous session. Right. And camp- and some campaign games can, can qualify under the campaign. and that, that you It doesn't really change the game. It just depends on, okay, we're playing... Um, I, I know a perfect one. Actually, I've got uh, the D&D board games called Rash, Wrath of Asher Dallin and uh, the Ravenloft game. And those are campaign games because they have scenarios. You play one, two, three, four, five, all the way to 12. But the game itself doesn't change. You can jump in at four. You can jump in at one. It's the same game, but it has different storylines. The board's different. It's randomized. So different. maybe, so maybe then you need a, a delineation between scenario games and campaign games. Sure, sure. Maybe because then are the because the 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 missions that you open in Mechs vs Minions are sealed, but <laughs> are, do you do you make decisions that carry into the next game? Um. Okay, and that and that one particularly, no, there aren't decisions that carry over. But opening up the packet does grant each character different things. So, like, yeah, oh, so it's so it's different. It's a, it's different in the way that the way that you set up a game of Legendary is different. But it's it changes in a in a sequential 
um, campaign style order instead of just random, random episodes. So maybe, maybe that comparison is like if you break up TV shows into serials and um, episodic. But anyway, no. we don't have to. No, no, that, that makes sense. We don't have to dive too deep on on, on nomenclature here. No, but, no. that, that um, does make sense because actually, now that you you mentioned that, I'm sitting here thinking that I would I would consider or would have by by my definition, Mix versus Minions, um, a legacy game, but. Now that I really do think about it, and you bring that up, I could probably once it's all done, I could go back and play Scenario Three, and it's fine. And and I just play it again. Yeah, you can just play Scenario Three, and you can do it right out the box. You just pick out Scenario Three, and it's all the things that are included. Well, and in it. and then and then you have games like um, the Pathfinder adventure card game, where you, it's it has sort of that deck building mechanic, except you only change your deck at the end of each um, scenario. And so your personal character changes. So it's very similar to um, D and D, which of course Pathfinder is essentially D and D 3.75, the the normal Pathfinder. Right. Right. And so it has that idea of like, you go into um, a scenario with your character, you play with that set of weapons or abilities or whatever your cards represent. And then at the end, if you succeed, you get rewards. You add those to your character, and now you have a slightly different character for the next session. Yeah, that game there has had or had or has uh, such great potential. I mean, it really does. I think so much potential. Oh, yeah, I think that it that it and so mechanic. And so that's a case where where I would call that like <sighs> legacy is maybe the wrong word because the game itself doesn't change based on your actions, but your characters do. But there's nothing that's sealed. You know, you have right. you have decks of cards, you have decks of weapons, and actually there's a that sort of, you know, card RP, RPG, RNG mechanic where, or I should just say randomness because there's no generator. It's a deck of cards. <laughs> right, yeah. um, that card-based randomness where the rewards you have available at the end of a successful session are random based on what cards you draw out of the deck. Okay, so um, that, that being said... I, I, let, let's just focus on the, the one part where games that that change. Like you cannot, sure, you, you cannot play episode four of Pandemic Legacy again. Once you've played it, the board is irrevocably changed. Your cards are irrevocably changed. There are stickers, permanent stickers, markers, permanent markers on the things. Cards are ripped up and gone. You cannot play them again. So that is definitely a different kind of game. Than anything else, for sure. So it's th- there are a couple there are a couple things going on, and so then to to answer the question of why aren't there more, I think it just it takes longer to develop. Like both of the both of the prime actually, at least three of the the examples we've talked about so far: Pathfinder, um, Risk Legacy, and Pandemic Legacy are all based on some original game. Yeah. Um, and so you take a game that somebody created and now you figure out a way how to make it, um, you know, story or sequential. It's sort of like, um, in a lot of video games, the, the story single player missions versus the multiplayer, like 
StarCraft or Halo or a lot of those yeah. games. Isn't there one called Gloomhaven? Um, ex- Gloomhaven? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a very big one recently, famous for um, being big with a lot of components, so it's very expensive. Yeah. I think the box is 100 which, you know, this year is not truly expensive based on what we demoed <laughs> right, at, right. at Gen Con. Is what but, the normal um, going for. Notorious for being very difficult, which in a in a cooperative campaign style game, I think is really good. I mean, that's the same that's the same sort of appeal that raiding has in World of Warcraft. Like the the achievement like winning has more impact when it's really hard. And I think that that works best in a cooperative setting. It, I I don't care for it and I know we've talked about it in the past you don't either in a in a single player setting, especially something like one versus one oh. uh, PVP. Um, I very much don't want a low win ratio in that setting. Yeah. So but I have my opinion on why they're not I'm, good. Why, why don't you think that a, a, a competitive legacy game is not healthy is the word or not so good. What's your opinion on why, why, why opposed to well, cooperative? So, so there, there are only a few that I've tried here. Um, I played Risk uh, two sessions, played Pandemic two, maybe three. Um, we and our group of friends played Pathfinder for probably six months. I don't yeah, know. It was, I think it was the a while. whole first campaign before the expansion came out. Yeah. And so as, as discussed, Pathfinder doesn't really change as it goes. It's also completely cooperative um pandemic also is completely cooperative just as the base game of pandemic is cooperative um and so so it's hard for me to say whether the the shortcomings or things that we didn't like about risk were because it was competitive or simply because it's risk Uh, you know that's a good argument you know the if the fundamental the game is board flawed. games the the old board games like that had so many problems um and i don't you know i probably know more about board game theory to to break those down now than i did 10 years ago but just the the heavy reliance on the dice um, rng the 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 random um pvp aspects of it where you know who who are you going to attack and you know the the situation sort of changes politically based on that it's like are you are you attacking me to pursue your own goals are you attacking me to to keep me from achieving my goals or are you just doing it because you're a dick um because you're mad at me (laughs) whatever um i've i've experienced most of those as as a teenager i played a lot of a lot of risk not a ton but more than just probably should have for such a terrible game <laughs> a terrible um, and, game and also and and also the elimination mechanics um you know i mean the the few games that i played legacy tried to eliminate that by making the goal different you know the goal was not last man standing it was uh you know take however many capitals or something like that at least at the beginning yeah um, and so, 
yeah, I think a lot of its shortcomings were just because it was risk, but there's also an element of when you play a game that is, that it's going to change. Like we, we played one game of Pathfinder adventure card game that we failed. (laughs) Right. And we said, we said, okay, well, we'll try it again. Like it's cooperative. It's MBD. But in, in a game like pandemic, you fail. Okay. Now you might open a packet packet or pull out some stickers or something. Well, in the process of playing this game, some cities have become less stable and you maybe scorched a city, you know, now you'll never be able to put a research lab there or something. And I'm pulling some of that stuff out randomly, but, um, you, you lost and there, there are consequences the stakes are higher because it's not a single session and you clean it up and you're done. It's you're playing this long story and the decisions you make have impact moving forward. It's a little more similar to real life. Yeah. And and it compounds um, without, without, without too much hyperbole there. Um, and so, you know, you have that, but if you're working together, you fail together, you're disappointed together, you change your approach and work together. And the entire experience has more positive potential. So you now take all of those same ideas and put them into a situation that's cooperative or not that's competitive. Yeah. Okay. So you're like, well, now this person won, that's going to affect the way that they start the next it's game. It's like a snowball. And so you're already, you're maybe a little bit frustrated that you lost to begin with. Because only one person wins. Yeah, right, right. And so then the next game, you're carrying a lot of those. I mean, it's similar to, you know, if you played, if you played Risk as a kid and you had situations where, you know, somebody wins and then maybe next time you play, you're like, okay, we got to gang up on him to make sure it wins. Like that kind of stuff happens, except in a in a legacy game it's built into the story it's like remember how he won look how you know he nuked russia right, or yeah whatever like it's it's not an optional thing in the back of your head like we say with our group of friends in bloomington like you know we got to make sure that everybody's actively trying to keep our friend pete from winning because otherwise he'll always win <laughs> right. It's like you have that, but it's not in the back of your mind. It's all right there in front of you. So I do think a large part of that is just the um, competitive nature of it. Yeah, And it makes it, you know, when you make something competitive, you make it less accessible. And, and, you know, because you can't you can't bring in, you know, in our in my group's pandemic session, I fully intend to rotate out certain people depending on because I'm playing with my dad and brothers and we're now spread all over the country. I'm like, you can play different roles, different characters in the game. So I'm like, you know, if we give somebody a little, a little previously on recap of what's going on in the board, then they can swap in and be the dispatcher this, this session. And it's okay because we're all working together. That depends on, 
that if you're playing on, the game though, because I think that even that it depends right. on the game and the role right. and for sure. Like if you've never played Pandemic, right, that's a that's a different thing. But if you're um you know, if you're playing a competitive game and you have, you know, let's take the classic ticket to ride, for example, you have one person who is sort of the the ambassador, like organizing the game night or whatever you've got one guy who had the app on his phone you know for three years <laughs> yeah. and played against the bots like right. at least one game a day and like He's knows all the down. routes right. and what they what they look look at at the start and has no problem whatsoever playing a train just because it'll cut somebody off <laughs> but then you've got somebody who's who's playing for the first time or maybe the second time well that new player is not going to have any fun yeah they, you, they can't jump right? in the middle of a they're almost not, not only are they going to lose, they're going to feel bad, right. right? Like losing is already negative. But if you if you start out with no chance, that's that's even worse than losing. Yeah, I guess the, these legacy games mind. are made for not for rotating in and out people. They're they're made for okay, you got four friends, five friends, whatever it might be, and those are going to play. You need to play at least three. That's what De- they're made for. Definitely, and and that's what that's what I was going to say to your initial somewhere in your initial question before we got way off on this competitive (laughs) versus cooperative aspect of it. But I mean, the big positive of it is it's designed. It's very similar to games that have expansions. Like it's for a small group that gets together regularly and, um, and plays games. So like, instead of always playing something new or you play Catan every Sunday afternoon for, six months you're like okay this is like the board changes so it's got you know as they say replayability um but you eventually get burned out on it well this is a way to prevent that from happening right from the start because you're like okay we're back together it's again it's like having a DD or a pathfinder group but without the overhead of somebody having to dm and write the story right you know make a bunch of characters and role play and all of those things that are part of it's part of what makes those role playing games popular, but also makes the barrier to entry kind of high. You know, I got to, I got to say my favorite Uh, part about those games and this kind of tying into something that you said here, I I think it was in a negative capacity, but not really. I like, I like it while it is a barrier to entry for new players to come in say, say middle of the game, which by the way, mix versus minions, doesn't have but i really like games that i do like games where i make a change in my character or whatever it is Uh, i'm gonna point out imperial assault on this one and to extent pathfinder as well where i played i went through win or lose i've changed my character i leveled up in a cooperative game it's even easy it's even better because you win or lose together you get experience points where you get items abilities whatever and then the next time i play i'm developing this character i really really enjoy that with some games um a pvp game right PvP game called Arcadia Quest does it. Um, you're just the first game is the base game. Okay, fine. Now the second game, I'm making my character, and those are really fun to replay because next time I don't want to play the Jedi. I want to play the Han Solo type character, and it's totally different. And it's different than the Han Solo character that Aaron played, or that Pete played, or whoever it might Pat played, because I get to make it okay. mine. 
and that's fun. I really like that. Interesting. It's sort of like, um, well, that idea, of course, is what in MMOs we call progression. Right. And they have right, like even if you even if you fail the mission, maybe you you know or whatever. Like even if you didn't kill, you know, in to go back to World of Warcraft, if you don't kill the last boss, you at least farmed all of the easier bosses. Some people in your group got better loot, and now you're going to have that small percentage better chance of getting the last boss. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think, and that's that's a fun thing that there's that group progression, that group getting together and, and we're we lost but hey we get a little bit better and next time we're good and improve your your chances your character yeah that's that's really fun having those and i actually when you use the word campaign that's kind of what i was thinking of is that you're going through a set story the game mechanics and whatnot but then your individualized experience with that character is different and and risk does have that risk's got the board change and it's also the character change pandemic sort of has it but not really um pathfinder definitely does i mean i think so I think as far as why don't they make more, I, I'm sure that they are making more. Just very um, slowly, very the, slowly. <laughs> like every slowly. two years. Um, well, I mean, you guys in your group are doing Dungeons & Dragons now, but if you weren't, could you, could you fill, could you always have something to play meeting once uh, a no. week? Uh, we actually did not. We had we had issues with that. We were um, waiting on games. It was constantly a we. Okay, so what we did we played through um, Pathfinder and we did Risk and then we did Pandemic Pathfinder Risk um, and and that was great. Pandemic. And all of a sudden we're like, okay, Pandemic we blew through and it was great and we're loving it and we're and we're literally on the front porch and we're talking about it and what are we going to do next? And and uh, Mike who's who runs a lot of these things and gets these things and is on top of it, he's like, well, next we guess we got Conan coming out. We'll, we just have to wait and okay, well, so we wait for Conan to come out and we play Imperial Assault and that was fun and good, but we beat it and like, oh, there's an expansion coming out in another year oh my god and then okay well what about the conan mm. nope still coming out okay well gloomhaven still in the works and then finally yeah still a lot out, of these games right? are we don't even playing once a week you just there's not enough out there to really do get it well i mean i mean there's a long and so so okay there are a couple yeah. things going on there um meeting once a week is like peak for right? groups like, mean? nobody's yeah, no, nobody's meeting. I mean, I'm sure there are some crazies out there, but most most of your average, quote unquote, hardcore gaming groups like that that are the that are the target market for a campaign legacy game um, are not meeting more than once True. a week, huh. right? Um, but then you have like board games, even if it's just cards, there's a long production cycle. Mm, yeah right especially if you get like the bigger games like gloomhaven or mechs versus minions where you have a bunch of um molded miniatures that have to be you know have molds made and have a large enough production run and go through a kickstarter and and all that kind of stuff it just takes yeah, time and, and maybe the thing is is that there's just not um, enough of and them uh, it takes a while for one to go and it's a new yeah so so it takes time for whoever started you know a pathfinder came out but it's just it's it's pathfinder it's a role-playing game with cards right yeah. it's not really 
it's not revolutionary. It's new, but not not hugely new. And then um, risk and pandemic came out and people were like, well, wait a minute. So you're saying I buy this game because even even Pathfinder was replayable. Right. If you failed the mission, you just try the mission right. again. Right. Or you shuffle up the, the cards again and you play it solo. You play it with a different yeah. group. Like it's still a game you buy and you play. You can play. Sort of. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, it gets well, boring, no, I, but I mean, the, true the, of any like, game. Like you to play the later later scenarios, you need the cards from the first scenario. Sure. I mean, you buy expansions and that's true of a lot of games also but it's not it's not a game that like pandemic and risk legacy are consumable oh uh, yeah right right you play through it and you've modified the game it's right done. Yeah, yeah. right you either you either quit or you beat sure. it um in in the case of my group with with my family we quit risk <laughs> after two sessions because we're like this is nothing about this is enjoyable Um, and so so we're gonna try this other one because it's co-op um and so so that happens and then and then it there's a there's a whole time from like if if our group if if the bloomington group played um which was first risk legacy and enjoyed it enough to say hey we should do something like this well then you know you come up with the idea if it's a spin-off of an existing game you got to talk to the oh, creators right, yeah. or the ip holders of that like develop all of the episodes and twists of your story play test them make sure everything's True. balanced start a kickstarter get some like there's a whole it's got to be at least two year process from concept to completion to get these games out there for one of those to be for one of those to be made so i think there are more coming because like um there were a lot of games that you and i demoed at gen con um that have either the episodic or the um the scenario campaign mechanic like mechs versus minions or i don't I don't know that we played, we demoed any legacy games. There is a season two of Pandemic that I think we're pretty close to it. Yeah, it's not we saw that out. Exciting. See, that, um, that, it makes it exciting so, when you see a new one. So there's, there, there's more of that in the works as people have recognized, hey, this is a whole new thing we can tap into. Um, you know, the nice thing for a game manufacturer is you you sell a consumable game and you know, people play it once and now they got to, they got to buy something Do you else. you feel that, that, that this is something though, that is a snowball type thing that, that these kind of campaign scenario legacy type games are something that we're only going to see more and more of, and it's going to get bigger and bigger, or is this still going to be just like trickle time type effect? The market really, like you said, there's only so many people that have the game groups and be happy with a couple here and there. How do you feel about those? Well, that's, that's, it's hard to me hard for me to say um i mean i guess it's kind of like it's like anything else um you know whatever you would call the first deck building game which was maybe yeah, dominion sure. something earlier than dominion notable um, dominion i would say notable right, n- notable, right? um 
We'll get emails and, about that. Right. We're still... Um, well, sure. I mean, the 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 granddaddy of deck building games is magic. Oh, yeah, right. But the the the, the whole point, at least from what I've what I've read or or heard, is that people said, "Hey, this idea of gathering cards and building your personal army or whatever um, is kind of cool, but." It takes a long time and it's expensive and you yeah, do it at the home. part of building the deck. What if, yeah. what if, what if, what if we figured out a way to make that part of the game? Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, you've got the variations of that, you know, dominion style where you have 20 piles of identical cards or, um, ascension legendary, a bunch of games work like this, where you have a, a deck of monsters and you pull one out every time, kind of like um, the card drafting mechanic in yeah. Ticket to Ride. But but anyway, my my point in that is they're still making deck building games, right? Like um, Upper Deck and Cryptozoic are still getting the rights to IPs and making a new deck building game. Like what? twice a year or even more yes it is nice i I think that's that's a perfect example that you bring up those kind of the deck building genre per se is that you're right i mean if we take that as an example that's a good one i don't know if at some point you know games in general reach a, a a point of market saturation um i mean there are always people families whatever who will buy one game and play the hell out of it for five years and then when they start to get sick of it look for a new game you know they're not they're not really keeping this board game industry alive (laughs) no it's people like Um, me who continue to buy like 16 versions of a deck builder and (laughs) buy buy stuff that that sits (laughs) on the shelf keeping those people Um, you know but what is somebody i don't know if it was you or somebody else at gen con gave the give the estimate number of how many new games are published every year um and you know they get ratings yeah. on board game geek and some are some are good and some aren't so good and people you know people have different tastes they like what they like and you know maybe a game doesn't go away maybe it goes out of print eventually but you know if it's not very good maybe they never make any yeah. expansions for it and the guys who made it go on and try right. something else you know and there'll be somewhere out there there's a there's a group of diehards you know who talk to whoever and and get the rights and start a kickstarter and uh and get get something republished like doomtown or uh oh your Wings favorite Glory, game doomtown with the with the min- miniature miniature play right <laughs> doomtown yeah um but yeah i mean i think we're still in the early days of these games i mean i don't think i don't think every new game is gonna become this because it's a certain it's a certain style for a certain group and you could even split the competitives and the co-ops into two separate groups but um there there are always going to be people who don't want that who want want to start it over want every every new play session to be like a game of euchre where you're like it's the same game you're you're dealing it out. You got a different hand this time, but 
it doesn't matter what your hand was before. <laughs> you know, I mean, also some of this is that uh, I'm hoping I, you see in the market things hit critical mass um, where somebody like uh, one of my favorite game companies, Fantasy Flight, will get hold of something and, and they, they don't just do like a little test bed. Hey, we'll put one out and we'll see how it does. And then if it does, we'll start thinking about the next one. They'll uh, Companies like that will, won't jump in and create the, um, the deck building genre. But what they will do is take the deck building genre and make six expansions for it, and they'll have that set and scoped out, done at the beginning. When they launch, <laughs> they've got a schedule of every six start. months. Once again. And I love that. So maybe it's just a matter of you know one of these larger companies, Mayfair or uh, Fantasy Flight, getting hold of one of these genres, and they pick a thing, and they'll pick like a, it'll probably be a Marvel type thing or something. And okay, so, it just runs away with it. Right. So question for you and you usually ask the questions but i got one <laughs> um is there an old or moderately old game that you would love to see made into a campaign legacy game i mean i okay so like okay so you're saying like 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 uh, like they did with risk and it's just a game and then like risk or pandemic okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, my first initial thought was like i still want to see a D friggin game that's good come out but uh <laughs> it, okay i digress i mean let, let me think here um uh yeah i think that uh kemet is a good one that's a good solid game that's got a lot of mechanics to it that's pretty amazing and making that into a campaign would be friggin amazing um that's not necessarily new world uh it's it's pretty good i i missed that one you guys got into it right after i moved i think i think for a for an adaptation like that the map is really important oh yeah right Right, like yeah risk and risk and pandemic are both map and global map based games well it's also your your um, build i mean so you can always add things in and that's kim is definitely one that is open for that could fit into that kind of a system. Um, another one, it's an ancient game that's been made with like 16 different versions. And it's a very basic kind of game that could, would be neat to have in this kind of thing is a game called whiz war. It's a simple, very simple, straightforward, short kind of game, but it's got your spells and your spell books and it's based on the board. And it's a very PV, uh, E type thing, but that's, that's a game that's, you know, fun, easy, but it's got some mechanics to it and simple. And it, it's it's simple enough that you know what here let me let me take a little side note on this i think when considering this topic of what game would make a good system what it is about this is that we're all familiar with risk we're all familiar with pandemic we've played those singular games a million times and and they're at this sure. point they're very simple risk is arguably complicated but the, the games itself they're at this point in their tenure they're easy everyone knows how to get up and play them so what makes them good into these legacy or campaign games is or candidates is because it the next time you play it it adds a new mechanic there's something new that makes the old game different and then the third one is oh where's even more and by the time you're on the 12th game it's a totally different game than what you you've got pandemic 2 or you've got risk too right. and well it's it's like an expansion except you're getting the new the new mechanics the new rules like 
piecemeal. Yeah, and, and that is, in essence, what Mechs vs. Minions is. And what, what makes Mechs vs. Minions, uh, of any game that I've said, it's my game of 2000, was it 16 or 17 it came out? Or two years. It's my favorite game of the last two years. It's an amazing game. If you haven't played it, I doubt you'll be able to find a, a copy of it, but play it. It's um, All it is, is it's a game, and I think it's 13 packages or sessions or whatever. Um, it's a game that is probably a, a, an amazing, crazy, cool, billion things, options game at game 13. But what they did was like, let's write a tutorial that is 13 steps long. And you'll start in step one and you have the basic, easiest game that you can possibly have. And then we're going to teach you the new mechanic in step two. And then we're going to teach you a new mechanic in step three. And by 13, you're actually going to play Mix versus Minions, which is cool. Yeah, it's sort of that if it's sort of that progression thing that MMOs have or the early single player missions in an RTS like StarCraft, where, you know, the first mission, all you have are the basic troops and the supply buildings. Yeah. And so you got to do that and then you win. And then in the next one, you get a different kind of troop and a different kind of building and it progresses from there. So I could, I could see yeah, that. And, they, and they, I don't know after, after asking my own question, um, I don't know that I have a good answer. A lot of the games that I have enjoyed a lot of play are the deck builders. Yeah. And I think if you, if you take a deck builder and make it a campaign, you've sort of turned it back into magic. Oh, that's a good question. I mean, so you played, you so, played so Legendary. Can, can that one, that's made for expansions, I guess, but I don't know campaign-wise. Yeah, that would be, that's almost like, that would almost be like a homebrew thing where somebody takes all the basic components and says, okay, your first mission is these X-Men and this, you know, Magneto or whoever, right. and, you know, sort of tailors custom thing. I don't know. I don't know that you could change a, and I don't I don't think a deck builder though I mean the Pathfinder game is essentially that it a, is a it very is. slow session based deck builder. Oh, that's, that's um, I don't know thought. I don't know that I would want to see any of my favorite deck builders turned that way cuz they're not the things that I enjoy about them are the are the very different sessions per game um but that's that's a good thought deck builders into a legacy that's interesting and pathfinder is one that's that's right that does kind of work kind of right um ticket to ride is very popular i don't know how you turn that into a legacy game oh but i bet you could that, that's one that's probably right for it if it's someone's not begging them for the rights i'm sure what i'm sure that you could but it would yeah I don't know, because there have been, if you ever played any of the PC um, versions of Risk, there were some of those that were very different um, and took advantage of the fact that you can do things on a computer that you can't do with physical pieces, sort of like Hearthstone yeah. versus an actual game like Magic, not actual, a physical game. Because um, Hearthstone is definitely an actual game. I mean, I don't know. Tr Ticket to Ride, you can do just a straightforward, just like you've got with Risk or anything else, is that um, they have in later expansions all these new rules that they've had tunnels and they've added extra train type things and stations. And, and that's just the legacy just should, could just add those mechanics step by step. I, I could see that. I could see that. I don't know. I don't know how you translate that into something that makes sense with the theme. And maybe I don't, 
I haven't given enough thought to the to the basic theme of Ticket to Ride. Like <laughs> right. Risk is a war game. Pandemic is an epidemic game. You know, the the diseases break out and now the cities become more unstable. Like it all makes sense thematically. I think if you're going to do a campaign game, it definitely has to all be thematic. Yeah. You, you know, you can't just throw like, oh, suddenly now the, you have to build a, a tunnel between Santa Fe and, and Houston. Like, why? No, okay. I mean, I so here's the thing. I'm going to pitch this to you a little bit here. Uh, there's an expansion okay. later on, uh, and I've only played it on the iPad, is that where you um, are like buying stock in the companies. And as you go through, t- this is the ticket to ride game and, and it adds a whole new scoring mechanic to it. I'm not a real fan of it's it. It's not that other, it's not that other train game with the, with the stocks. No, it's definitely, that game it's definitely called? ticket to ride. Um, you know the game I'm talking about though. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But, but it's got, it's got, uh, they've added stock to it. So you're, you're buying BNO or whatever it might be, uh, Pacific yeah, or yeah. whatever made up names they have, but it, that's a different scoring mechanic. But the idea is of ticket to ride is that you are a company and you are trying to build these routes from here to there. Now, granted they're on the board right now and we know that how you get to LA to Dallas or whatever, but ultimately the real theme of ticket to ride is that you're a company building these, these, um, these routes. So routes could be, who's to say that the board doesn't start with America or it's a larger board. You add in Europe that goes up to America and now they have to connect through, you know, Russia or whatever it might be. Um, and all the routes aren't there initially and you build them and the ones that get built stay, uh, permanently, you know, by the winner or something, whoever had the longest route, the longest route is the one that stays on there next time you clear it off in it, but it's stickered on permanently. Uh, cause you're the, the theme would be of that legacy thing is that you're the train company making this, the routes. Um, anyway, that's, right. that, that does sound interesting to me. I, I love it. It's, it's interesting. It has the, it has the competitive problem that we previously discussed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Something right. that something that I would like to see, and I hadn't I hadn't really considered this too much, um, is I would like to see a a really well made and you know to, and and as much as necessary accessible Lord of the Rings. Board. I mean, I don't think I've played a good Lord of the Rings board game. Um. So. Have I just have I just missed that? Was it like the wave was passed before I met you guys yeah. and got into? There, there are the problem with Lord of the Rings games is that there's so many. I mean, there's just so they skin okay. everything. They put out originals. There's just so well, many. yeah. And of course, I'm I'm talking to go back to our conversation about themed games. I'm talking about a real like my younger brothers got very much into the Games Workshop. Lord of the Rings, which it it died off. Like everybody who's still into that is playing Warhammer. Yeah. Do you know? Did you play enough of either one to say like what was different? I didn't. That that I, okay. I'll talk t- probably if if I had to guess, having not really played much of of either, I would have to imagine that the the sci fi genre gave more flexibility. Like sure. eventually, once you have. Once you have the different elves, the different men, and the different dwarves, like you can't take it any further. Where, you know, if you have, if you have guys in mechs and whatever else is in Warhammer, I've never actually played it. Um, 
you can always be adding new stuff Here, to it. Here's, so here's, a, here's a here's a a game that for our listeners and and for you even um, for Lord of the Rings. I own a game called um, it's the Lord of the it's by Fantasy Flight, so it's obviously big. Um, it's the Lord of the Rings living card game, and I'm a big fan of living card games. Um, okay, I think we talked about oh, that yeah, and previously, it, it, and that's yeah. one that I'd love to just the living card games are, are I love them, love them, and um. It's good. It's difficult. It's not easy. And you can play it solo. It's actually fun solo. It has scenarios and every scenario. And the game is sold. Again, Fantasy Flight does this well with their marketing strategy is that it's sold in adventure packs. So I buy for like $15 an adventure pack and I get all of the cards for that storyline that you're playing through. And you pick your char- like your three characters um, and all the expansions come with different characters. You get it's because it's a legacy game or a living game. You get every card in the box and four copies of it. So you, it's right. a deck building. You build your own deck, but with every Magic the Gathering card, you know, type thing. Um, and it's mm-hmm. they're hard. It's a hard game, and and I do play it. I don't play games solo often, but that's one that I will play solo and lose constantly because it's just difficult. It's got the <laughs> tightest economy of any game. Right. But I'll I'll tell you, you can buy the base game for it's a relatively inexpensive price. I want to say twenty bucks. You get a lot for it, um, and you can play wow. it by yourself, and you can play with anybody else. Um, I've definitely sleeved all sleeved all my cards. Um, I've got them. Yeah, I'm sure. Sure, look it up. It's worth it, and it's it's a Lord of the Rings game that does fit the theme because you the way the mechanics are played. There's the 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 shadow cards that are like, oh my gosh, something could come, and then there's the aggressive orc cards that are actually like you fight fight them, but there's always the the eye in the background causing bad things to happen. Sure, sure. Um, and then you're the light. You've got characters who are a lot of times based around like, oh, they're a Healy in the Lord of the Rings type game, Healy type character or aggressive characters or shield maidens, um, and they play just like very thematically like those things. So in the dwarves and the dwarven expansions and man, I don't know. It's just a, it's just a great game okay. and you should look that I'll, one up. I'll have okay. to check that out. We'll put a, we'll oh, put a link for in sure. the show notes. Um, and the, the best part about that one is that you don't have to buy them all. Although if you are a fan of the theme or the, the game itself and the storyline is that you kind of want to play the next one. Uh, so that, cause it's not just the Lord of the Rings story. It's like, all of the and imagined stories beyond it afterwards in between of all the characters it's it's pretty but you don't right, like, right. you don't have to buy it so you buy a a, a new st- storyline comes out there's literally like 20 different little uh, scenario packs if not more out and hmm. three or f- well, maybe four or five but they might call expansions that have like a whole slew of 200 cards that you buy for you know, $25 $30 whatever um, so yeah, it's good. It's a good game, and we'll definitely um, link that one in. Well, I think that's yeah. I'll have to I'll have to check that out. Okay, so that's that's that. Maybe maybe I'll give some thought this week to what to what old games like. What would a what would a monopoly? Oh right, like yeah, look yeah. Like? It would probably oh, we can be we terrible, can bring that one for next but, week. We'll uh, just carry, carry that over a little. A lot bit. of weird 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 finance finance. We should we should pitch things, our, each but, other um, a, a game and why it would be great. <laughs> Yeah, a good a good thought. All right. Well, I think we're we're, we're running running we long are. We on didn't time. We didn't get our to our X files or our Terminator. We'll go into movies and TV shows another week. We've spent a lot of times on this. We'll have to we'll have to roll those next week. Yeah. Until uh, next time, I'm Michael Daniels. 
And I'm Dennis Rogers. For the front porch. Good night, everybody.